iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this fine Monday in November. In fact, it's the very last Monday in November. Oh. I don't know why I said that, but... (laughs) Thank you for telling us. So that means that we've rolled out the big guns. No, not Matthew Syed and Henry Winter. In the studio with us, it's Alison Rudd. And down the line from his, uh, his secret haven... Somewhere in far west London, it's Matt Dickinson. Later on, we'll be discussing Southampton's struggles and what could be a classic between Paris Saint-Germain and Liverpool. But we start at Wembley, where Maurizio Sarri suffered his first competitive defeat as the Chelsea manager. Tottenham tore into the Blues on Saturday night, eventually winning 3-1 at the start of a huge week for Maurizio Pochettino and his players. More on that in a moment. Uh, Matt, did it all go right for Tottenham or did it all go wrong for Chelsea? Uh, I think we have to say a bit of both, but I, I, I think Sarri was pretty um, damning of his um, team afterwards, and, and you could see why. I mean, there was uh, underperformance pretty much everywhere you looked, starting at the back. Um, David Luiz, in particular, obviously got some headlines, um, as he is wont to do when things go wrong. And then across the midfield, um, I'm sure we'll get into more detail on it, but, you know, it's not a new debate about whether the whole kante Jorginho, um Axis is is sort of all the wrong way round, but um, it certainly brought that right to the forefront um, of where Chelsea go from here. Some feel Kante should be in a more defensive role. Gab, how do you feel about this one? If you're going to play Kante in a defensive midfield position, which is where other managers have played him, that's fine. Then get a different manager who plays in a different way from Maurizio Sarri. It's a bit like saying oh, well, why doesn't Pep Guardiola have a plan B where he brings on a Peter Crouch type and just starts lumping balls to his head? Because he doesn't play that way. This is like like clockwork, right? Chelsea play badly or they lose. This is the first defeat of the season, of course. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, look, isn't he thick? He should be playing Conte there. He's got the best defensive midfield in the world. That's fine. Go play Conte there. And then you don't go and you don't build chances because Conte can't do what Jorginho does on the ball. There's a reason he does this. They show this quite eloquently, actually, if anybody watched Match of the Day 2 last night, that the reason they found themselves in those positions was because they weren't pressing further up the pitch. You can get away with Jorginho in that role if you do the work further up the pitch. If people have to pass the ball when they're not under pressure, then, yeah, any dope can go and hit the ball in the channel and then some some roadrunner like Son gets onto it. So it, it just strikes me as such a futile debate. It, it's like saying, 
you know, why doesn't Tony Pulis play out from the back? Well, because he doesn't. You know, he plays a it's a different brand of football. Then you can debate, well, is Saudi right to play this way? And you know, Chelsea obviously thought that he did achieve great things playing this way with Jorginho in that role. Um, and that's what landed him the Chelsea job. So the least you can do is is, is go on through it. I, I think in a game like this one where Leaving aside the defensive side of the game, where I thought where he he really struggled because Dele Alli was was phenomenal, I think what he was hoping for was Kovacic getting more involved in the playmaking. Perhaps there's going to be situations where where maybe Kovacic drops deeper and and just leads that because obviously he's got that in his locker, um, and that didn't happen for a number of reasons. First and foremost, the fact that Tottenham were so good. Yeah, but it's one, think... one thing, Gab, to say, oh, it's, this is stupid, but people, people are just doing knee-jerk reaction because, because they lost and it, it, it's not uh, Sarri's style. But to have one player define your team, I don't think that's particularly clever. I don't, I don't see why that's... I mean, it, there are, there, there's, there's a difference between saying, oh, what, what about Pep Guardiola lumping the ball up to Peter Crouch? That is a completely different scenario than saying you can't have Sarri without Jorginho. No, no, you can... I'm not saying you can't have Sarri without Jorginho. You can't have Sarri without somebody who can do what Jorginho does. If you want to remove Jorginho and put Kovacic there or put, you know, if you put, Fabregas, Sa- put Sass Fabregas in a time machine and put him there, then it'll still work. If, if you had David Silva there, it could conceivably work. But you need to have somebody with that skill set. And because the two guys on on the side of the three because they're so critical to to pressing together with the front three you need to have people with legs in that role that's why when Cesc Fabregas comes in he can only come in for Jorginho he can't you can't expect him to run around the way Conte or Ross Barkley if he plays or or Kovacic run around and and do the work off the ball it's interesting because I I mean I did a piece about this it was at the West Ham uh, away game and and there was I mean, Chelsea were completely swamped. They didn't need to sort of, you know, press hard and furiously. They just played the game in West Ham's half. But there was a couple of curious incidents where Kante was sort of ended up in, um, you know, sort of Ross Barkley or looking back Frank Lampard position where he was sort of, you know, Paul Scholes trying to sort of burst into the box and, and add the finish to various chances. And, of course, you know, his goal rate is... You know, half a dozen goals in you know 150, 200 odd games because that's just not something that he's he's you know he's done. Um, that's not his ex- his expertise. There are clearly compromises. There are clearly you know got, Sarri's only been there a limited time. But you know you, I think it's a very fair debate to have. I think it's a very sensible debate to have, and it's it's very fair questions to just ask. A, if you've got it, you know what's the weakness here that Tottenham have exposed. Is this the best use of of Kante, who has proved himself, you know, a sort of phenomenon for the last three or four years? Um, and in certain games, does the balance need to be changed? Well, Alison, it seems to have been a, a tricky period for Tottenham with injuries and their pitch problems as well. Yet they've won seven of their last eight in the Premier League. They're up to third as well. So is Pochettino working his magic again? Yeah. No, I think it's really fascinating the narrative of Spurs and how they've been perceived to be failing when they've been succeeding why has that been it's it's as you say it's because um the stadium's been a bit of a joke so that sort of lends a sort of humor to the narrative where they can't ever play at home and look at the state of the pitch and the pitch doesn't suit them so they're undermining their own style how stupid are they Pochettino himself has been slightly odd in some of his comments about 
I don't know, he's just not been as upbeat relentlessly through that period as he usually is, and, and which creates speculation that he might go somewhere, if not Old Trafford, then somewhere. Because Spurs are Spurs, if they don't win in style, I think it's almost as if their wins don't count. So if they've, they've had a few quite dour 1-0 wins, and... Their high-profile games against Barcelona, for example, they've looked utterly outclassed. Well, most people do look utterly outclassed when Barcelona click. So it's illogical, but it, it forms a narrative that Spurs, they didn't sign anyone in the summer. They're, they must therefore be struggling. If you list all the reasons why Spurs might be having a poor season, they exist. And yet, as you say, Natalie, their results are pretty impressive. My view is I have seen Spurs play and thought they got a bit lucky. They didn't really click. But when they have, whenever I have seen them play beautifully, it's because of Son. I think when he's exuberant and going for it, it lifts the team enormously. He's so popular in that team and he, he sets the tempo and they, they look like the best that they can be when he's playing. And they did that against Chelsea. They played with joy and confidence. And when they don't, people think, oh, it's going wrong. I, I've never wavered in my belief that he's put together a... You know, a fantastically good team on you know what is in when we look at the top six, pretty limited resources. Sorry, just follow up on that. If you were to count the number of managers in the Premier League that you would most want managing your club, um, how many would you count to before you get to Pochettino? Huh. Well, but it's after, I mean, I think I did a piece just a few weeks ago saying you know, if, you know, Manchester United should be, you know, I'm not. That's not to say he wants to go there, um, and probably some good reasons why he wouldn't but if I was Man United you know we talk about what they pay on players well you know if it took 20 million 30 million to get Pochettino out of a contract uh, and he wanted to take it uh, that's that's money that would be well spent in my view of course the mood could change very quickly they travel to Arsenal for the North London derby on Sunday but before that they host Inter Milan on Wednesday in the Champions League nothing less than a win will see them eliminated from the competition Guy what sort of shape are Inter heading into this one well, there's a very good column uh, on this subject. There in, always is uh, when you Times ask these questions. Today. Funnily <laughs> enough, um, it's interesting because, I mean, this match is so important to to Inter, right? And if you want to read the excellent column by me, uh, you can kind of see how this is a club that's really, really for the past sort of 30 years, 40 years, has, they've been kind of sort of been pushing this boulder up a mountain and sort of Sisyphus style. And whenever they win and do something good, it either doesn't last long or it comes with an asterisk. Um, and, you know, now they're, they're, they've put all their eggs in this Champions League basket. Um, you know, in City at the weekend, they they left out their, their best players. Uh, Perisic, uh, Icardi was on the bench. Brozovic was suspended. Vecino was on the bench. And I think they're conscious of the fact that they've perhaps been a little bit fortunate. Uh, you know, late goals against Spurs, obviously, in the, in the first leg to win that. Uh, they were very fortunate against PSV, fortunate to get a draw against Barcelona, I thought. But, you know, you get a sense that this is more than a sleeping giant. There's only five clubs in Europe that have bigger crowds than Inter Milan right now. And for a team that since 2011 haven't finished higher than fourth, which they've only managed twice, it's pretty remarkable. Those five clubs are, of course, Borussia Dortmund, because in the Ruhr Valley there's nothing to do other than go watch Borussia Dortmund, and they have an enormous stadium. Uh, Manchester United, because they're the biggest and best club in in the world and theatre of dreams. Barcelona, for obvious reasons. Bayern, for equally obvious reasons. And uh, the other one is Real Madrid, who 
think they draw them by 2,000 a game. But, you know, this is a team that's won three straight Champions League titles. So there's so much desire to go to the next level. And in some ways, I think there's a bit of a mirror to Spurs. You know, there's certainly a, a, a bit of a parallel. Inter Milan are also the Spursiest team in, in Serie A by, by far. So they're in there. They're determined. They know that a draw is going to be enough. I'm really, really looking forward to this one because, you know, one way or another, you have to have some resolution. So, Matt, it is a, a must-win game for Tottenham. So how big a blow would it be then if they were to bow out in the group stage in terms of their development as a club? Yeah, I think that's probably the right way of putting it. It's, it's, it clearly, you know, you want to be exposed um, to to those big games and, and under that big pressure of, of, of a knockout. So it would be a blow in terms of, you know, just just keeping momentum going, keeping interest going. Um, but it's not, you know, I, I don't think it's the sort of tipping point in terms of five players wake up the next day and think, oh, well, you know, clearly we're not competing for the Champions League. Let's Let's look elsewhere. It's not... So it's it's more of a, as you say, developmental issue, and 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 just because you know you want to be involved in the, in those biggest games, but I don't think it would you know it, it would be disappointing, and but I don't think it was going to suddenly herald a sort of um, huge inquest. That said, Matt, if they screw this up, and then they don't finish top four in in the yeah, Premier well, League, which is entirely yeah. possible, then it kind of does bugger up a lot of things for them that's, doesn't it yeah but then that's bringing the big if of, of they don't finish top four ways you know i mean obviously there's a long 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 season ahead and as we said they i mean the fact is they've been punching above their weight for the last three four five years so you know and, and you wonder can they keep doing that but as of this morning they're third in the league and um not looking too bad This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. On Saturday, Claudio Ranieri enjoyed a victory in his first match in charge of Fulham as they won a thriller 3-2 against Southampton. But for Mark Hughes, the defeat extends his run as the Saints manager to just three wins in 21 Premier League games as they slip into the bottom three. Now, Alison, you were at Craven Cottage. Um, Did you see much evidence that Hughes can turn this around? Well, I thought I did until um, Cedric Suarez spoke afterwards. Southampton started the game really brightly. They did not start the game like a team who have lost faith in their manager and are all at sea. They did not start the game like a team who are worried about a relegation battle. They started quite correctly, a team that knew they were going to a club of appalling defensive record and, um, yeah, new manager, but who knows what that would bring. And the plan was to play relatively composed, aggressive football, and they did. And they outplayed Fulham and scored a goal. And you think, right, OK, this is this is how the game is. They will now further impose themselves. But Suarez, <laughs> Cedric, do I call him Cedric or sorry, call him Cedric? Cedric said afterwards... As soon as we scored, we knew we'd concede. And what's all that about? I mean, it, it may... <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that implies something's really quite rotten at the core of what's going on behind the scenes there. And they did slowly become nervy. And Cedric painted a picture of a team more nervy than they looked, actually. And, and they continued to create chances. And probably, if you were completely objective, if, if that game had been yet another first game for Ranieri that produced six goals, then it would do th- Three, three. It would have been a reasonable result, but I mean, if I had any power behind the scenes at Southampton, and I'm not quite sure where the power lies now, but that Les Reed's gone, and they've got to work out what their 
strategy is. I would take those comments very seriously and wonder what on earth is going on because Mark Hughes does have a reputation for being a bit of a hands-off coach and not suffering fools and thinking that you know men should be men and just crack on with it. They're, they need some sort of cosseting, cajoling belief in themselves because if you go through the team they are you know player by player there are lots of very very good players in that team and for one of them to say we're not very good at taking the lead yikes Hmm. it all does sound very worrying doesn't it really yeah why is why can't you play with with the lead i mean i my man manolo and charlie austin are perhaps not the they're not natural counter-attackers but I, i i certainly thought that you know you're ahead you should be able to manage the game i mean Mario Lemina can can hang on to the ball. Redmond can play. Hoot is not a bad defender. Maya is, is obviously somebody who's who's done a very good job. I thought for for Southampton for a long while. But I think because because they have consistently lost from or drawn from winning positions, they now fear it's going to happen. And so you think it's psychological? It must be psychological. It must be psychological. They so, clearly have decided they're not very good at coping with the way a team reacts when the opposition go behind. They know they're going to get flooded and they just think, we've, we've, done, we've, let, we've not handled this well before. And once you believe you're not going to handle it well again, then the, the opposition will sense that you're... Fragile. There's a lot of confidence there, isn't it? I think, and that's largely to do with some a lot of chopping and changing. I mean, I bumped into someone who, uh, shall we say, has worked, worked to that club in a senior role. The chopping and changing there. I mean, you look at, you see it with the strikers. Um, I mean, on, you know, well, they've gone through Puel to Pellegrino to Hughes, all wanting different profile of strikers. I guess Gabbiadini is a, a sort of almost a sort of case in point for, you know, a guy who's been in and out and using this role and then another role and then vanished and then you know one minute he's looked the man next minute you know you wonder where he's disappeared to um and all those three managers have completely different profiles of what sort of player they want up front um different systems so it's 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 a club that i think is you know that's that's eroded a lot of pattern a lot of confidence um in uh, in in quite a number of players, I think, and that's, that is why is why Les Reed partly why Les Reed lost his job because the point of Southampton was that you could bring in a new manager and he you would profile him so that you'd know that he would like what you already have that he wouldn't make those choppy changes and, and need different things. It was supposed to be a holistic approach, so and it just it just completely fell apart. And they've won just once in the Premier League this season. That was on September the 1st. Every other team has won at least twice. Now, Bill Edgar suggested on this podcast last week that we might be seeing the end of Hughes' managerial career in the Premier League. Matt, would you agree with what Bill said? Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised, um, to be honest. I, I don't. I mean, I think he's struggling. Uh, I, I, not all the blame rests with him for the reasons I said before about the champion change of profile, but I, I, I think he's struggling to... to to make sense of that squad, he's certainly struggling to get the front end right. And I, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, as Alison said, um, hands off manager, I can't see the pattern developing, I can't see the confidence developing. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is he's out. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What a night of Football Wednesday promises to bring us in the Champions League. While Tottenham fight for their lives in the competition, Paris Saint-Germain hosts Liverpool in Group C. And it still is anybody's guess as to who out of those sides or Napoli will progress to the knockout stage. So it will go down to the wire. Liverpool warmed up with a 3-0 win at Watford on Saturday. Mo Salah taking his tally now to nine for the season. Are we starting to see shades of the Salah of last season, Alison? Of course we are. I, I don't know. I'm, I've... I've feel slightly miffed by the way the Salah story has evolved this season. He was blisteringly amazing last season. It all collapsed when he had his injury in the Champions League final and that ruined his World Cup. And, you know, it's one of those injuries that aren't that common shoulder. It probably, you know, needed slightly different type of approach to income. He came back too early for his country, I don't know. But it, it makes perfect sense that after that incident, you would you would start the season maybe a little tentatively and the team is playing slightly differently. You have to get used to a, a new ethos in the team and your own personal travails of, of what went wrong in the summer. And so he has not become moody and rubbish. He's just got on with it. He's contributed... He's been accused of being selfish because just occasionally he's tried to shoot when maybe he shouldn't, but nothing nothing too amazingly terrible. And he is very slowly looking more and more like he was. And it's, it's unimportant whether he looks exactly like he did last season. The point is if he works in this team, in their format, their pattern, their attitude, and gets the crucial goals, which he is starting to do. And if I was at PSG, I would now be worried about him. I wouldn't be thinking he's a shadow of his former self. We can handle him. I would be very worried. Well, as for PSG, Neymar and Kylian Mbappe missed the victory over Toulouse on Saturday, but Thomas Tuchel says they might be back for this one. Gab, what are you expecting from Wednesday night? I think they will be back. Mm. Um, It's really curious because Liverpool dominated PSG in the first leg and... People kind of looked at PSG and being like, ha-ha, look, you know, it's all these stars and the egos and aren't they rubbish and let's indulge in some schadenfreude here. And then they saw that, you know, they were outplayed by Napoli as well. And it's like, oh, look, you know, he's Napoli, tin can team, you know, and look, you know, they're taking points off of PSG too. And then, of course, Liverpool go to Red Star at EEG. What happens there? You know, I, I, I find this Champions League group entirely fascinating. What's interesting is, PSG have won every single game they have played this season in all competitions except for the two draws against Napoli and the defeat at Liverpool where PSG were atrocious. But anybody remember the final score of that game? Let me refresh your memory. It was 3-2. So So? 
what three two tells you is that playing so badly, they still managed to beat Liverpool with the Allison and the Van Dyke and blah 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 blah. So I think you underestimate PSG at your peril. Um, this is why Neymar is there. It's why Cavani's there. I wouldn't take anything at all for granted in this. I think you know their injured guys are coming back. Mbappe can be absolutely unplayable on his day. I think absolutely anything can happen here. And I, I sometimes think some people are a little sort of too confident in, in writing off some of the, the opponents in Liverpool's group. Thankfully, not Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, but you've, 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 in your answer, you've raised the big question, which is they've faltered in Europe. So clearly, why can they not lift their game adequately it's kind of irrelevant what they're doing in domestic football. They are so far ahead of everybody else. So why can they not? Why have they had those three poor results in their group? I don't know. How many good results have Liverpool had in their group? Do they have but a good result? No, 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 no. They're no, not no, leading no. the league by six zillion points, are they? They don't have that disparity. They're not leading the league by, by, by six zillion points because they play in a different league, which happens to include Manchester City. But Liverpool are second in the Premier League. In the same way that Liverpool went and lost in Naples and... I thought were frankly terrible in Naples and until I saw them against Red Star Belgrade and they were even worse. I wouldn't be sitting there sort of, you know, making my making my plans right now. I, I would adopt the kind of humility that Klopp is adopting in, in kind of telling people. Criticize PSG without it meaning I'm adoring Liverpool. No, I am that's wondering fine. why you just said you just said they've won every single game and then your accepts were all European. Well that implies they can't quite hack it when it becomes elite football. Right, but you could make the point. I mean, how many games have Liverpool lost? It's irrelevant. I'm not talking about Liverpool. I'm talking about PSG. But but you have to have some sort of frame of reference. Yeah, the frame of reference is is PSG. And they are are the second most expensively assembled team in the world. And they are leading their domestic league more than anybody else is leading their domestic league. And yet, you just said they fell apart slightly when it came to three games in Europe. No, and what... It's irrelevant what Liverpool do in their league. No, it's it's hugely relevant because my point is that this is actually a really tough Champions League group, which is much tougher than I think a lot of people had anticipated ahead of time. And I think anything can still happen in this Champions League group. Um, when PSG are playing well, and they have played really well of late at times, I'm thinking back to the Lille game or the Monaco game, they're really good. And even when they're bad, which is my point... They still avoided defeat in, over the, in, in both legs against Napoli. And against Liverpool, when they were atrocious, they still kept it within a goal. So, I don't know. <laughs> I think this is, going to be, this is going to be a brilliant European night. And I know that the whole world outside of Qatar and, and Paris is, is rooting against Paris Saint-Germain and rooting for Liverpool. But I don't know. I said, don't count your chickens before they hatch. I think this is going to be a huge test for Jurgen Klopp. And... I'll tell you what, if worse comes to worse and Paris Saint-Germain win this, which is hardly unthinkable, you're going to have to face the reality that Liverpool will have lost three out of five Champions League games, and yet they came in as runners-up last season and spent, I think, either the most or the second most of any team in Europe over the summer. That's all I'm saying. Well, what we do know... Whatever happens is there's going to be a very good team finishing third and dropping into the Europa League, isn't there, Matt? Uh, I was just fascinated. I want to keep the row going. Don't come to me. Let's, I want to hear this. I want to hear I've got to, to the calm death. it down. I want to hear it to the death. Um, <laughs> no, it's, um, but it's interesting what Gab just said there about the, the world. Um, 
will be rooting against PSG. There is, I mean, it's individual players. Obviously, we love to see Mbappe uh, at his best. We love to see Cavani at his best. Um, I love to see Neymar at his best, despite a lot of people giving him um, some probably well-earned uh, grief for histrionics um, at the World Cup and, and other places. But there is, yeah, there is something... Um, I, I guess when when clubs throw throw money and try and build something, and yeah, there's always that antipathy to that. And I I, I sort of feel like this. You, you feel like winning the Champions League should be this sort of great quest. I mean, you know, Man City are still plugging away, and you know, you sort of get so far, and then you slide back down to the bottom. And I th- I think there is this feeling that it it shouldn't be just bought like that. It should be something that you have to toil away at uh, and and earn the hard way. Um, and certainly PSG are finding it up. It's time now to find out how we got on in our weekly predictions game. And the weekend began very well for me as I successfully predicted a Fulham win over Southampton. Gab, you went for a cagey nil-nil draw. Yeah, crazy cloud you'll let me down there. Um, Neither of us backed Spurs to beat Chelsea at Wembley. Although I came closer here because, of course, um, I backed the draw. Natalie went for the win. But in the Midlands Derby early on Sunday, we both successfully predicted a Villa victory over Birmingham City. And might I add, I predicted 3-2, and it should have stayed 3-2, right? Why did they have to go and score a fourth? Well, that's it just, really shouldn't. That's just life. Should have been disallowed. Well, it, and it didn't. So, four two it was. Um, it was at the Vitality Stadium, though, where I really profited. Unlike Gab, I predicted an Arsenal win, and I called the exact scoreline as well. The two one victory for the Gunners. Now, sadly, this meant that it didn't matter what I predicted in Serie A on Sunday night, which really sucks because I predicted the exact <laughs> correct scoreline between Lazio and Milan, a one one draw. Although I have to be honest here, given that Lazio's equalizer. On a wild shot in like the 94th minute. I was slightly fortunate there. Mm-hmm. So, all in all, it is another victory for me. A narrow one. Very narrow. But it's still a victory, Gab. So, it's now 7 5 to me this season so far. Enjoy it while it lasts. I think <laughs> my, my A game is going to be coming back. <laughs> Enough of this. How about some quick hits instead? Manchester United are held at home by Crystal Palace and are booed off the pitch. Henry Winter, of course, will be weighing in on this, especially Mourinho's attitude towards young players. So look out for that in the paper. Allison, it's their worst start in 28 years, apparently. Mourinho talked about playing with heart and brain. If he adds in courage, she has the complete Wizard of Oz set. <laughs> What's behind the curtain? Um, a little dog with a waggy tail. No, um, I think... Honestly, it's just getting ludicrous. It's as though Mourinho, really, his dream job should be managing a pub team in which he gets the most out of players who, who have to turn up and play while completely drunk because someone someone got caught in a traffic jam. And and then Mourinho would can praise them for playing when not quite ready for it. It's as though he only wants players who will play with an injury or a problem and give him something beyond footballing ability they give him the heart and so on that you're talking about this is not how you this is not how you manage an elite team it's very peculiar now it has become beyond beyond the joke Arsenal win at Bournemouth with a bit of good fortune perhaps but uh, there was no room for Mesut Ozil apparently and Unai Emery said Bournemouth might be a bit too physical and intense for his highest paid player Matt what do you make of Emery's new 3-4-3 formation um, I think the, rev- the real revelation wasn't it. He's uh, learning English via Peaky Blinders. I think that's the um, 
the, the most fascinating news out of that place. Um, no, I think it. Uh, if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be delighted to see that he is making. Well, a he's shown some this tactical flexibility. B that um, well that it, it it showed signs of of the players looking like they knew what they meant to be doing. See that you know he's not afraid to drop um, Ozil if if he thinks it isn't the right occasion and he's not seeing w- what he needs from him. You know we've seen a new grittier Arsenal in, in quite a few games. Um, I guess most embodied by um, Torreira, and that's that has to be encouraging. Very good. Bournemouth never struck me as the peak of physicality and intensity in the Premier League, so I thought it was kind of weird that that's where you drop Ozil, especially after he's coming off an international break where he did nothing but sit around and train since he no longer plays for Germany. But anyway, um, Natalie, Mm. one for you. Okay. I remember Bradford back in the day when they were a Premier League club. And that's 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 the only reason you know them. uh, I also know that Bradford is where Leeds' airport is. Presumably they're in Yorkshire, so presumably they're near Huddersfield too, which is where <laughs> Matt Hughes is from. Um, anyway, I hear they're bottom of League One these days. Mm. How do they manage to win at the weekend? Ah, well, 2018 hasn't been the happiest of years for Bradford. Uh, They've had half as many managers, four, as they've won league games, eight. And their 32 points total means they've collected the fewest points of any other EFL side this calendar year. So as you can expect, fans haven't exactly been enjoying life at the moment and attendance figures at Valley Parade have dropped. So to try and entice the fans back, the club priced tickets for their game at home to Oxford at just a pound. And that proved to be a winner on and off the pitch. 19,084 turned up to see Bradford win their first league game since the 2nd of October. Their first victory at Valley Parade on a Saturday for eight months as they won 2-0 thanks to David Ball and Jack Payne. Which means although they are still bottom, as you pointed out, Gab, they're now four points closer to safety. So it's a good day. Can I say a logical suggestion to take this further? Sign a temporary stadium sponsorship deal with Poundland. Ooh, clever. There you go. Like you're thinking there. Uh, Manchester City thrashed West Ham 4-0. Now, Matt, we wondered what would happen with Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Bernardo Silva both out. And now we know. Ilkay Gundogan steps in and they don't miss a beat. Please find a weakness for us in the City side. Oh, I think um, slightly better coaches than me are trying to do that and um, and, and struggling. I mean, I, I think, I guess we thought the Fernandinho might, might be too much on him, that he might... You know, run out of legs and just you know there's there's not an obvious uh like for like with him in the same way there is so much a city, but then the way that Delft's playing um able to sort of slot him around, you can imagine if Fernandinho did suddenly struggle, Delft looks uh the way he's playing for country as well as club that he could he's probably your best bet, so uh yes, a weakness um yeah. Come back to me on that one. <laughs> we haven't seen much of Jesus. Maybe if Aguero gets injured, maybe Jesus became really bad in the meantime. Hey, this is really, really clutching at straws. Yeah, Sorry. Really clutching. Leicester City draw with Brighton. Glenn Murray scores again. But that's old news because he scores all the time. So let's focus instead on everyone's favorite starlet not named David Brooks, James <laughs> Madison. Allison, he gets sent off for diving, but then apologizes via social media. You okay with that? Well, I'm okay with the apology. It felt like a real apology, and it did give a tiny bit of insight into why a player might do what he did. He said he was anticipating contact, and it didn't come. In other words, it's not like he thought long and hard about the morality of diving at that point. It was quite instinctive, and he didn't apply any brain power to it, and it's good that he regrets it. 
And as Tony Cascarino says in today's game, he will not do it again because he has been humiliated by it and called out on it. And so, yeah, I'm glad he went public and said, I wish I hadn't done that. I like the guy and I'm delighted that he apologized and I hope he has a tremendous career. But I didn't really buy the explanation because he was anticipating contact, but it wasn't exactly evasive action he was taking. So I don't know. Gab, one for you. Wasn't the big River Plate Boca Juniors final supposed to be this past weekend? What happened? What happened was a big, nasty cluster mess. Boca Juniors uh, um, team bus was um, was pelted with uh, with stones uh, on the uh, on the way to the uh, Monumental Stadium. Some pepper spray and tear gas got in there. Presumably, it's unclear whether it came from the fans or whether it came from the police, but. Long and short of it, two players were were injured when the glass was uh, was shattered. They got to the ground. They eventually, you know, there's seventy thousand people waiting there. The game was was delayed. Two guys were hospitalized and they came back. The game was was postponed by an hour, or kickoff was delayed, I should say, on three different occasions before they eventually called it off and said, "Oh, we're going to play the next day." And then the next day, neither team wanted to play, and they said the conditions aren't there. So they're going to get together on Tuesday to decide uh, what they're going to do. It's obviously, you know, so many people and, you know, our former colleague Rory Smith was there. So many people who who like the idea of big rivalries in, either con- in other continents um, who who perhaps champion the quote from Alejandro Dominguez, the Commonwealth president, who says that the uh, Champions League is PlayStation and the Copa Libertadores is real. Everybody wanted the color, the, the, the non-sort of corporate plastic nature of it. But then again, you get the flip side, uh, which is this appalling um, attack. It's one of those things where you say everybody's responsible. Some people are more responsible. My blame here goes on Commonwealth because it should have been obvious that when you have two players who are supposed to play in a, in a match who are physically attacked and injured, then you call off the match immediately. A lot of blame goes on them. And I think also a lot of blame has to go on the police. It's not like these were visiting fans they didn't know about. They police River Plate games every week. They should have taken that into account when considering the bus route and also the type of escort that the Boca Juniors bus had. Um, it's it's just a really ugly black eye for, for South American football right now, or Argentine football in particular. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to our guests today, the very excellent Alison Rudd and the almost as excellent Matt Dickinson. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Thursday ahead of Derby Weekend. That's right. It's the North London Derby and the Merseyside Derby. And even though Charlie, the producer, who's an Arsenal fan, didn't put it in the script, it's the slightly less glamorous, somewhat more one-way, but very much appreciated by Alison, West London defeat Derby between Fulham and Chelsea. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. 
Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.